Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 18 of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. And the demand is overwhelming, and the the you voices have been heard. So we will open this show with me telling the story of the 2004 Boston Red Sox uh, wives' room uh, altercation. So uh, let me take you back in time. It is uh, 2001. And uh, I'm in Arizona and we're in the postseason. And my wife had made uh, purple headbands for all the wives to wear. Just this kind of like their little unity thing. Um, and if you remember 2001, for those of you old enough, we one of the greatest World Series ever. We came back to beat the Yankees, yada, yada. Fast forward to 2004, we are in the postseason. And once again, my wife made headbands and uh, red they're they're scarves basically and and she had made them for the for the red sox wives and uh we beat the angels and we went to uh uh the yankee series and uh she wasn't his wife at the time uh michelle damon uh johnny damon's now wife um refused to wear the scarf um which you know things happen uh there there the the wives room has as many clicks and and uh confrontations as the clubhouse does but anyway fast forward to uh post game game 3 against the Yankees we lose 19 to or something 19 to 6 or 100 to nothing and uh my wife is sitting in the wives lounge and Michelle walks in and throws the scarf like on my wife's lap and goes a lot of good. These things did us. <laughs> my wife being the non-confrontational person she is says, well, maybe if you wore it, your husband wouldn't be fing over 20. And it was on. Uh, apparently there was a physical match, uh, broken up by other wives. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember my wife telling me the story after the game on the way home. And I was like, Oh no. And, uh, I don't know on Johnny's end, but Johnny and I saw each other at the clubhouse the next day. And we were like, dude, what happened? He's like, and we were laughing. We're like, wow. Okay. Well, uh, suffice it to say, if you remember 2004 after game three, the 19 to six loss to the New York Yankees, uh, we won eight straight. So my wife believes she is directly responsible and, uh, the reason why the curse was broken and uh you know okay i'll let her believe that <laughs> but that's the live story so excellent yes <clears throat> so let's let let's go talk about some cinderella type stories going on around baseball yeah um a couple teams that we talked about preseason one that you guys have heard me talk about quite a bit um is uh the Orioles, they're uh, seven straight wins, 10 of their last 12. Uh, a kid who I talked about uh, before the season as the possible uh, rookie of the year, Grayson Rodriguez. Um, they went 29 and two-thirds innings without giving up a run. So staff-wise, I think they're legit. I don't know if they're that good, but they're legit. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez went uh, five scoreless, gave up five hits, three walks, six punch-outs on Sunday. Um, he's a special kid and he's one to pay attention to Kyle Gibson, um, is the only other, what he's the starter having the bat. He's four and he was four and with a three Oh six, uh, rest of the starters are two and three. They're running. 
they're they're clearly taking advantage of this new rule. They uh, second league with 25 stolen bases. Um, uh, Mateo Jorge Mateo leads them. Ryan Mountcastle with six homers, 20 RBIs. Adley Rushman four home runs, 15 RBIs, um, which is allowing Gunnar Henderson, who's hitting under 200, kind of time to ease into it. And I I I, I imagine he will, um, but you don't. It's kind of hard to let that go on much longer if he continues to struggle. Um, the other team, uh, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, no, I don't want to say out of nowhere because they do have a lot of young talent. Is the Pirates? I was born and raised a Pirate fan, so I've always been partial to the black and gold. Um, they're up a half game on the Brewers in the Central. Um, they won seven th- straight through Sunday, also uh, joining the Orioles in seven game winning streaks. Um, this has been a perennial loser for decades now, unfortunately. Since the 70s and the early 90s, they've never actually been anything. Um, a lot of positive stuff happening after one of the game's brightest stars, Inernil Cruz, uh, is out breaking his ankle. And uh, probably, I don't imagine, will be back this year. Um, uh, Kutch, Andrew Kutchin at 36 is back. Uh, I think back home in where he belongs. Hitting 275 with four homers and uh, nine ribbies. Brian Reynolds is hitting 295 with five homers and 18 RBIs. They're just playing good baseball. There's not you, you and I know that sounds generic, but there's no stat to look at um, that says, "Oh my gosh." I also think it's a little early to get carried away. Um, both these teams are doing well. I think they're going to both benefit from the balanced schedule immensely, um, as will any other. I, I think the balanced schedule is going to going to benefit almost everybody. I think it's going to benefit the really good teams a lot. I think it's going to benefit the teams we question as well um, because everybody's going to get to play the really bad teams the same amount of times. And, and, and they Kurt, don't have to... talk yeah. to me a little bit about the veteran leadership of like McCutcheon coming back to the Buccos and what that means to a team like this. So there's a, there's a, um, you, you see it in, in uh, other leagues in, in it manifests itself. I think, in early season confidence um, coming out of April, if the pirates come out of April uh, in first place or the Orioles come out of uh, April, uh, you know, in first place or close, it's not about them believing they're better than everybody else or better. It's about them believing they're showing up at the park every day with a chance to win. And a guy like McCutcheon um, is, is crucial for that. You know, you heard me talk about, and, and Dave Hollins talk about Darren Dalton, um, that guy in the clubhouse that can, Keep an even keel, um, not get caught up in the media um, and and not get caught up in the dumb stuff and just keep the team focused on being on the field. I think that's very much in the manager's uh, office as well, just keeping the team focused. But you got to have some personalities in the clubhouse, uh, given the amount of time that these guys spend together, who who keeps it light, keeps it fun, keeps it focused. Um, because you're talking about two franchises full of players who really don't know how to win at the big league level or have never won at the big league level for the most part. Uh, and it's different winning at the big league level and being confident is different than any place else. Um, so that that's to me, that's more of those guys prevent the long downside uh, or the long losing streak. You know, a guy like McCutcheon, you know, he isn't the all-star he once was, but the fact of the matter is he's the kind of guy who comfortably will walk into a three game losing streak and say, okay, 
I got to, I got to get after a little bit tonight and have a night pick us up a little bit. And whereas other guys don't realize that's needed uh, or young guys don't think they can do that. And, and so that's where the, that happens in the clubhouse. Um, strikeout rates guys. <laughs> uh I think one of the reasons why, Bill, I never really thought about this, but I think one of the reasons why we've seen the new rules um, as it relates to base running in the shift, I think it has more to do with where the game was going on the field in the sense that last year you heard a lot of people talk about a lot of games ended up being strikeouts and home runs, period. And I think um, the rules were made to help that change, to have running, to get more offense into the game, uh, but I don't know that that's going to change the strikeout rates because I think what's being taught, uh, and I think if you talk to a lot of uh, hitters, the, the Wade Boggs or the guys who were natural, pure, good hitters and good hitting instructors, this new swing up mentality, I think they think is a bunch of bullshit. Um, it, it, you know, it's the strikeout or home run thing. It's that that sabermetrics infused teaching. Um, and I think it's why you're seeing people who have never played the game or who haven't played the game at any competitive level becoming hitting coaches. And um, strikeout rates are going uh, are up again. Last year was the uh, highest in history of baseball. It was uh, uh, 8.4 last year um, per case per nine. This year it, it's already it's at 8.73. And you generally have enough data at this point that that's not going to move a whole lot. So we're probably looking at another. Um, Basically, almost ten percent of every game uh, is is uh, well. No, what is it? It's higher than that. It's eight of twenty-seven. Yeah, it's a third. Yeah, eight of twenty-seven Ks per nine, which translates to almost eighteen strikeouts combined for the game for the teams. So you're looking at what? Uh, yeah, eighteen strikeouts in fifty-four outs, which is a third. Um, I think it's interesting that you you think it has as much to do with the hitting approach as, as the pitching. Oh, it absolutely. There's no question. Approach. No question at all that the new approach of swing up. Um, you know, I, I know I'm 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 uh, generalizing it, but that's the te the mentality of swing up to hit fly balls. Uh, can't think of a stupider approach, and that's why you're seeing the strikeouts, um, which is the the worst thing you can do as a hitter. Any good hitter would tell you that striking out was the worst thing they could Barry Bonds. That was the one thing I knew he hated was he despised striking out, like hated it, like physically hated it. Um, Tony Gwynn never did it. Um, there's a reason great hitters didn't strike out. Uh, there, it was, you know, as a chicken or the egg thing kind of did them not striking out, make them great hitters or are they great hitters because they didn't strike out a lot. Uh, I think the answer is yes to both. Um, but you're seeing K rates, uh, DeGrom's at 42.2%. Uh, Spencer Strider, 40.9%. Otani, 36.2%. Zach Gallon, 33%. Uh, yeah, so one out of every three outs Zach Gallon gets is a punch out. Kevin Galsman, uh, 32.3%. Um, but I have, I, I and no, I'm not going to take it away from, from uh, the pitcher's uh, credit because, I mean, you were just talking about seeing DeGrom throw. When you watch DeGrom throw, you wonder how anybody ever makes contact. Um, there's some guys with stuff now that are just, uh, ridiculous. And speaking of, um, the Grom, a couple, couple quick statistical things. Um, 
His last start, he went six, walked five, punched out 11, gave up a home run uh, early, and then punched out five in a row, was pulled after 80 pitches. You know, you and I have talked about this, Bill, and I, I'm still this mind. I I don't see uh, an over-under of 20 being – I think that's the number. I think 20 starts is maybe his what he does this year. I hope I'm wrong, um, but I've never I, – I don't remember the last time he's gone three or four starts without something. Well, and this is the first one back since he was pulled after the second with the wrist yeah. being sore. So it, it it's little things, but – Boy, when he yeah. pitches like he pitched last night. <laughs> yeah, it's it was like watching last postseason. I remember watching um, DeGrom pitch and everybody else, and it was just so different. DeGrom, DeGrom's the pitcher. He's a he's an artist. He's moving the ball left and right on the corners and all this other stuff where other guys were just brain-dead heaving a lot. And uh, it's it's blatantly obvious when you watch it in person or when you're watching on television and you're getting a behind the home plate view where, you know, when he's working on the inside corner, he's missing by this much uh, on the inside corner. You know, some guys you see the catcher sets up in and the ball ends up over here or over here or down here. When DeGrom's catcher sets up, he's catching the ball here and here and here and here and inside the glove. And that's with the hundred mile hour fastball. That's just ridiculous. Speaking of ridiculous. Uh, and he seems to be, we might just start, be start having a a little segment for him in the show. Shohei Otani uh, went seven innings, gave up two hits, a punch out eleven uh, in his last start. Lowered his ERA to zero point six four. Here's the stat I love, uh, and the stat that defies sabermetrics. Uh, hitters facing Otani for the third time through the order. So this is going to be guys uh, in the seventh and later for the most part. They are zero for twenty four. With 15 punch outs and two walks. Now, the basis of sabermetrics and the way the reason why their pitchers are managed the way they are is because when you look at opponents average against and you look at OPS against, those numbers tend to generally get higher as the number of at bats versus a specific pitcher go up. And it kind of makes sense. Um, but it's also uh it was always the challenge, right? Is it for me as a starter? You know, I'm not facing uh, a guy like Derek Jeter in the first inning thinking about getting him out in the first inning. I'm thinking about how I need to get Derek Jeter out three or four times tonight and how I can use that first at bat to set up the pitch sequence for the second, third, and fourth at bats. Um, you have to have a lot of confidence to have that approach, but you also have to have good stuff. And Otani clearly, uh, I mean, that's just a ridiculous stat. So he hasn't given up a hit to any hitter facing him for the third time in a game. Well, and that's one of the managing decisions that has come into the game that I don't necessarily like as much. I used to love watching right. pitchers get into the later innings and be forced to go against hitters that they'd seen already a couple of yep. times. And Well, now, yeah, you're right. The, the, the new, and Bill's referring to the, to the situation now where uh, a, a team like the Tampa Rays, uh, does not allow their starting pitcher to see the lineup for the third time. And a lot, and you're seeing it happen a lot of times with, it doesn't matter what the numbers are, what the stats are, they're out. And um, that's going to end up, it's going to end up costing baseball money because it's going to hurt more pitchers. And, and you're going to see bullpens taxed more to a degree that they've never been before. And those innings are going to continue to rise. A um, couple quick hits. 
Uh, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Fernando Tatis came back to the lineup in San Diego um, and homered uh, in his third game back. First homer since 2021. I, you know, they aren't off to a great start. Um, but I, I certainly expect them to be right in the thick of things. Um, well, you have to be with that lineup. Right, right, right. They're healthy. They're going to be fine. You know, they. I would tell this, say this to Padre fans. Um, five top five managers in the game. One of them is in San Diego. Bob Melvin is far and away one of the premier managers, uh, coaches. I, I and well, I guess I should say it like this: uh, managers, coaches, players, because he caught for me. He coached me, uh, and in some ways managed me during my career. He was the first catcher I threw to in the big leagues. Uh, well, after Mickey Tettleton that in 1988, uh, he coached in Arizona and, uh, he was a manager then, um, and he is as good a manager as there exists in the game. And he will absolutely, he's that guy, Bill, that I tell you, like Terry, he keeps the clubhouse. There's no panic. He's not in the clubhouse, given rules and marching orders and things like that. He's, he's understanding. He understands his people. He knows which players fit, which roles, and he lets it happen. And, and that's important for a young team. Uh, and, and I'm going to say this, and especially a young team, the more Latin American players uh, that are on your club that you can allow to manage them. So, because it's a different culture. When you come from Latin America to the United States, uh, there's a huge language barrier. Uh, a lot of Latin players are secluded and not secluded, but uh, in clubhouses because of the language barrier. And it's not a it's not a cult, a racial thing or anything by any stretch. It's just a language barrier. And you'll see in clubhouses, uh, uh, players of different uh, racial backgrounds will tend to segregate into their own segments because that's the people they're comfortable talking to. In a good clubhouse, that stuff breaks down and everybody is everybody. Um, and in a, you know, you've got Machado, you've got Tatis, you've got all the, all these guys. Uh, and you've got, you've also got a very Mexican American culture in San Diego, which is not a bad thing. That's a very uh, and I think I think the Dodgers have all and the and and the I mean the Padres and the Dodgers have always been um, a very big part of the Mexican American community in a good way and you know going back to Fernando Mania in 1980, um, but that that's part of managing is understanding the culture in your clubhouse and allowing that to flourish when it's positive, and uh, the I think they'll be fine. I really do. I'm I'm uh, I'm not worried about them. Uh, also not worried about the Rays, who are 13-0 and at home. And I believe this – yeah, this is a record, right? They've homered in their first 22 games, uh, which is a yeah, major league baseball record. As of the show taping, they're 19-3. and uh, They're real. And, I, you know, it's funny, Bill, the only people I ever see bitching about stuff like this are Yankee fans. Um, Yankee fans are griping because Tampa Bay's played a horrible schedule and they played bad teams. And my response is – well, they've played bad teams and done exactly what really good teams do to bad teams, which is pummel them and pummel them by a wide margin. You know, if they were escaping with extra inning wins and two to one wins and two to nothing and one nothing wins, then you'd be wondering, but they're not. Their run differentials through the roof. They're as advertised. And the AL East, I'm having a hard time, Bill, seeing a, a, a more competitive division than the AL East this year. I really do believe Baltimore's for real. Um, and I think you're looking at Baltimore, Toronto, uh, the Yankees. Um, I, I don't believe the 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 Red Sox uh, are 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 a team that's in the mix. Um, but Baltimore, the Yankees, Toronto, 
Who am I missing? The Red Sox? Y- Yankees. Oh, Yankees, yeah. Toronto, yeah. Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. The Yankees. Yeah. So so four of those teams I think are legit. Uh I think you could almost see based on the way the playoff format changes, you might see you could potentially see four teams from the AL East in the postseason. And um Well, imagine if I'd have told you this at the start of the season and predicted at the end of April, this is the way it's going to be. But the best five records in major league baseball right now are the Rays at 19 and three, the Pirates at 16 and seven, Milwaukee at 15 and seven and Baltimore and Texas, both at 14 and seven. Yeah. I would only, I would have only said, yeah, the Rays wouldn't surprise me. Um, You know, I liked the Orioles before the season, but I didn't, you know, I I didn't see this kind of a start. Um, The Rangers, I think that the Rangers were a team that you thought was going to be good, but <clears throat> you had to wait and see, right? I mean, they, you know, the, adding DeGrom to to the massive contracts they gave last year doesn't do anything if DeGrom's not pitching. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that the rule change, I, I, I think if you look at Major League Baseball, they're going to tip their cap and say thank you for making rule changes to help other teams compete. I'm not sure if that's the reason why. But I do know that that Baltimore, and we talked about this. Baltimore and Tampa are are uh, are player development hubs. Um, I think none of those shock me. Um, and again, you know, Bill, we talked before the season. I and you know, I've loved the Orioles. I, I think they're incredibly talented. Um, I think the probably one of the most surprising starts for me has been the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, I expected them to be a lot better than they are right now. Uh, well, and I expect them to turn it around and be good because I do think that they're a solid team with a lot of talent and Walker's legit and all the things that go with that. But but they've they've kind of caught me off guard a little bit. I didn't expect them to struggle like this out of the gate. But again, this is uh, I told you this last week. This is April, and the goal is to end April not buried. Not don't don't be in Tampa's division and be three and seventeen because your season's over. You know, a team that starts out 17 and three makes it harder on the other teams. As long as you don't go in the tank or toilet for, for April, you can recover from most anything. And that's the goal is to get out of April healthy and not be 10 games back. And if you're both of those things, then the season can be what it is and whatever you want it to be. It's just a matter of, of writing the ship. But and I'm, I'm I think be- the Cardinals are really going to benefit from Adam Wainwright coming back and he's close. Yeah. So yeah, there's a yeah, and and maybe not because Adam Wainwright is Shohei Otani, but maybe because uh there's I can tell you this, there's some guys on the mound create a different energy on the field. Um, and I think he's still that guy with St. Louis. I think that you know the guys playing behind him have so much respect for him that 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 there's an effort level they can get to that they might not be able to push themselves otherwise. Um, but I expect them to 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 do what they're doing. Uh, Craig Council in Milwaukee is uh, a very, very good manager, and I fully expect uh, if they stay healthy, because remember they're uh, they're down a couple arms, yeah, and not not marginal arms either. Um, so that'll be I'll be curious to see how that is. And I, you know what? I'm wondering if who Christian Yelich is. Is he the MVP player? Or is he the guy? What what guy is he? Because I ha- I want to believe that even though he looks like Pete Davidson, I want to believe <laughs> that he's the MVP, more the MVP guy. And and if he is, I want to see that guy because that guy was fun to watch. So Very fun to watch. All right, All right so you Kurt, got the wives story. I love the wives story. 
And do we have a tease of another story we're going to do in the future? Or uh, are you well, just gonna... I've got so many. I can I can tell the story of the the night Scott Rowland almost died. Um, and it's funny. Excellent. So, yeah, well, I, I that, think that's our tease for the next show. The Scott yeah, Rowland almost Scott dying Rowland story. Um, and I by say almost died, I mean one by by a hand almost died in a major league ballpark after hours. So uh, there you go. I Outkick.com, guys. Check it out. Uh, on the upper right-hand side is the Shows tab. Click on Shows. Go to the Kurt Schilling Show. Subscribe. Uh, Spotify as well. Um, and check us out every Tuesday and Friday. I'm Kurt Schilling. He's Bill Graff. We'll be back at the end of the week. Take care, guys.